The husband comes stamping into the room. He is hopping mad. And he says to his wife, I cannot believe your brother. He just makes me so mad. He is such a loser. That is the last time your brother is coming to our house. His wife looks at him and says, well, what, what did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? He stole our towels right out of our bathroom. He just packed them up in his suitcase and took them when he left. I am so fed up with him, I cannot believe he would do such a thing. His wife looks at him and says, he stole our towels. Which towels did he steal? Oh, you know the good ones, those white ones with Holiday Inn printed on them. (laughs) Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Very brief portion of scripture, but an important one for us this morning. And here's what we find there. You shall not steal. God is saying in this simple command that we are not to take that which belongs to someone else. In other words, we're to keep our hands off of it, leave it alone. Don't do it. And you'd think with such a simple command that everybody would just listen to it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. You don't want people stealing from you, so, so you stealing from them. You know, it just, it just kind of makes sense that people would just get with the program and, and not take stuff or not, that belongs to someone else. But you and I know that's not the world in which we live. That's why you have locks on your doors That's why there are alarms now built into most cars. That's why you have to be super careful of those emails that come from Nigeria telling you that they are ready to put a few million dollars into your account if you would just send them your account number. That's why I look very closely now when I go to an ATM or go to a gas pump and get ready to insert my credit card to look and see... Is this actually, is someone come up here and fool, fiddle with this, fool around with it so that when I stick my information in there, they're going to get my credit card or my debit card information and empty my account? This world in which we live, it, it seems like thievery, stealing, is, is just, it's just not a big deal anymore. We live in a world, it seems, full of thieves and crooks. Sadly, in this very room, in this room, there are thieves and crooks. Now, you're going, really? I mean, I would understand if if this was, you know, like at the jail ministry and we were at the jail. Now, okay, okay, I can understand it there. but, But, Pastor, you're saying that this room right here is filled with thieves and crooks. And I will tell you, yes, and you are probably part of it. Now, I'm not trying to get you upset. I'm not trying to run you off because here's the thing. Most of us end up defining what it means to steal in a way that is most advantageous to us. We tend to move the lines so that we aren't among the thieves. Somebody else is. it It doesn't apply to us. I think the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther 
probably has the best common definition of stealing that I've found. This is what he said. He says, stealing is taking advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him. Taking advantage of someone in any way that would bring loss to him or to her. And so I I just sat down for a a moment and, and started quickly just writing down ways that people steal from others. And And some of them are pretty easy, like stealing is overtly taking someone else's property or money. That's what we typically think about, right? Someone comes into your house, they take your stuff. They, you know, go to the bank, they hold it up, they take their money. That is overtly stealing in our book, but it's bigger than that. Stealing is also when uh, you uh, don't do your job that you're paid for. If you're being paid a certain hourly wage or you're being paid... uh, you know, a weekly salary and you're expected to do such and such amount of work and you don't do that, you cut corners, then you're actually stealing from your boss. Now, the other way works too. And that is if you are an employer, you are the boss and you hire people and you don't pay them fairly, then you are also stealing from them. You're stealing when you take credit for work someone else has done. And so for students who go in and they've got the, you know, the paper is due, a project is due, and and they let someone else do all the work and turn in the paper and they get the credit, they're actually stealing from that person. Cheating on your taxes. Yeah, that's, that's stealing. Sorry. You don't have to like Uncle Sam's tax system. You don't have to endorse the IRS. But when you're not paying your taxes, you're stealing. When you take stuff from work. This happens all the time. When you take stuff from work, you're you're stealing. It's not yours. When you work the system to get benefits that you haven't earned or that you don't deserve, you're stealing. When you misrepresent a product or service that you offer, you're stealing. When When you don't charge... Or when you charge for work that you don't do, that's stealing. When you get cable service by tapping into somebody else's line, that's stealing. When you get too much change and you know it at the supermarket or at the the convenience store and you intentionally keep it, that's stealing. When you borrow something. And you don't return it. That's stealing. And here's one that is one of my pet peeves. When you who are able-bodied park in a handicapped spot, you're stealing. That doesn't belong to you. Okay, now, I've got my list. That's a short list. We could take this list and we could spend the rest of our time talking about what is stealing because you, some things went through your mind as we were talking about it as well. And you said, okay, that's stealing, that's stealing. Okay, anyway, here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to tell you. For a lot of people, they'd look at my list or your list and they would go, oh, that's not really stealing. That, that's not a big deal. We, we're not worried about that. But according to the definition, Luther's definition, which I really like, when you do something, when you defraud someone, when you take, some, take advantage of someone in any way, 
that causes them harm, causes them loss, that's stealing. Now, I want to take it a step farther because it doesn't just have to do with material things. You can also steal with your words. When you gossip about someone, when you slander someone, when you run someone down, you are also stealing. You say, but what are you, what are you taking? You're taking their reputation. You're taking their good name. You're stealing. And so when we think of stealing, when we read this, you shall not steal, our mind goes, okay, that's really easy. Don't take other people's stuff. But when we begin to understand what stealing truly is, we realize that it's a little bigger basket than that. It holds a lot more stuff than just taking someone else's money or taking someone else's property. And so if I could sum it up, we can steal a person's money, property, time, talent, and reputation. All these are areas in which we can take what doesn't belong to us, take what we don't have any right to. Now, obviously, when people take stuff, then they want to justify themselves. And and so they, they may say things like, well, it's just a small thing. Nobody will even really know it. No, no one will notice. If you look at some of the cases of embezzlement, for instance, that take place in large businesses, typically they start small. If someone who dips into the petty cash, who's a little bit short, and so they might, it might be 100 bucks, and they usually take it thinking, I'll pay this back. Well, once they've done it one time, got a little benefit from it, it becomes very easy to do it again. And the next thing you know, you're not talking $100. You're talking thousands of dollars. It happens in businesses, even family-run businesses. It happens in churches. That's why I try to take the advice of one of my wise seminary professors who said, let me give you one bit of advice, young man. Keep your hands off the money and the women. He was smart. And that's why you, if, you're, if you're bringing money, if you go, hey, I left my offering out, nine times out of ten, unless I'm heading straight back to the door with my wife, nine times out of ten, I'm going to tell you, go, there's a slot right outside Nancy's, Nancy Miller's door. Put it in that slot, and it'll take care of it. Because I don't want to touch the money. Because I realize that there is a great temptation Somebody gave me $10. Somebody gave me $20. Somebody gave me a $100 bill. It's in my pocket. Now, I think that I'm a relatively honest guy. But when you're walking around with somebody else's money in your pocket, the temptation's there. And so one of the justifications is it's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody, nobody's going to know about this. One of the other justifications is I deserve it. You know, I, I see all these people on TV and they're living these lifestyles that I want to live or I see my neighbors or even people I go to church with my, or my boss at work and I see that they're living so much better than I am and they're no better than I am. I deserve this. And so I take what is not mine to try to fill that, that gap or I won't get caught. 
You know, it's not wrong if you don't get caught. Or if I do get caught, there's really no consequences to this. There are all kinds of justifications that we create in order to back up what we have done, even if we know the action is wrong. And so the Eighth Commandment, if you really get down to it, it's about stealing, but it's probably more about personal integrity. That is, when no one's watching and I won't get caught, what do I do then? Your answer to that question says a lot about the kind of person that you are. But why is this thing so important to God? I mean, he put it in the top ten list. Why is this such a big deal for God? I'd like to share with you three reasons this morning. The first one's going to sound familiar to you. The first one is this. Stealing violates the image of God in that person. The person from whom we are stealing, we're violating the image of God in that person. And the reason I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning is because when we did our our, uh, message that had to do with not committing murder, we talked a lot about the importance of the image of God inside each person. Now, obviously, we're all frail creatures of dust. That means the image of God inside you and in me is twisted and distorted somewhat because we have sin and selfishness in our lives. And so we don't perfectly reflect the image of God. We imperfectly reflect the image of God. But that does not mean that the image of God is not in us. It is. And it's in the other person. And when you willingly take something from that person, whether it's money or time or property or talent or or their reputation, when you take that from them, you are belittling them and belittling the image of God in them. You are failing to acknowledge their worth, their value in the sight of God, failing to show genuine love to both God and to them. And remember, that's how we started this series on the Ten Commandments, right? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. When you take that something from someone, when you lower them, When you harm them in some way, cause loss in their lives in some way, you are not at that time loving God and loving them because you can't. You can't do both. And so the first reason, first reason has to do with the image of God. The second reason is this. Stealing chips away at society and creates a culture of distrust and fear. There was a time, and it is not now, when you could drive away from home and leave your house unlocked. How many of you remember a time where you could just leave your doors unlocked and leave, and everything was good? Okay? You don't do it now, do you? Many of you go out, You last thing you do is punch the alarm on the door. There was a time you could leave it unlocked. There were times when churches were left unlocked so that people could just come in and pray. We don't do that anymore either. There was a time where you could leave your keys in the ignition of your car or truck and not worry about it. There was a time you could drive up and down streets and you would see that children had just left their bicycles in the front yard, just laying over in the grass. Now, why don't we do that anymore? 
Because they'll steal your stuff. They will break into your house. They will take your vehicle. And they will steal your kid's bike. That is the world in which we live. I really never thought I'd see this. You've seen it on the news, the flash mobs that show up at a mall or show up at a particular store. They communicate, they text message, they all get it coordinated or organized, and then it's a coordinated effort. They all go in in mass, overwhelming the security and the employees, and they take whatever they want. They walk right out knowing they're being videotaped and not caring. That is the world in which we live. Now, when you think about it like that, think about how society, how culture ought to operate. If everybody began to adopt that kind of mentality, that I can take whatever I want, whenever I want, it would completely unravel the fabric of society. You'd have a chaotic society where people just, there was no respect for either property or person. And so it makes sense then that God who's trying to establish a community of faith is going to say, hey, listen, one of the things that I want you to honor in this community of faith in which you live is a respect for the property and the person of another. Don't take their stuff. Keep your hands off of it. It's not yours. And so it's, it's kind of critical for us to understand this. And I'm not sure we'll ever put the genie back in the bottle, to be honest. I mean, barring a, a nationwide revival that changes the hearts and minds of people, I'm not sure that we're ever going to go back to that era where we can keep our keys in the car and keep our houses unlocked and not worry about our kid's bicycle on the front lawn. But that being said, there is hope. And here's the hope. You and I, believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, can show people there is a better way. We can show people that because we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that there are people who can be trusted not to abuse another person's property or person. That's a heavy weight on us. We carry the name of Jesus. And when we cheat people, now, when everybody cheats, it matters. But when we cheat, we affect how people view Jesus. When we get caught stealing, we affect how people view Jesus. When we are gossiping, tearing people down, robbing them of their reputation, we affect how people view Jesus. And so Peter said, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, what he's saying here is, listen, doesn't matter what they're saying about you. You do the right thing. You do the thing that honors me, love, shows love to me, shows love to others. That's what you do. Now, when you do that, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get credit for it. However, when God shows up and everything is laid bare, they will eventually have to admit 
They did right. I did wrong. I'm amazed at the number of people who, even when they do the right thing the right way, get abused by the system, get abused by people, many of whom were considered to be their friends. But just because you don't get credit for doing the right thing doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it because Jesus' name rides on it. Third reason, stealing displays a lack of trust in God. There are lots of reasons that people give for stealing stuff. Probably the number one reason, you know, I was hungry. I was hungry. That may not be such a a pertinent answer here in in the United States as it is in some other parts of the world. Uh, But hunger, you know, my family's hungry. I'm hungry, and therefore I took something in order to provide food. Another reason given is is envy. That person has it. I don't have it. It's not really fair that they've got it. I don't have it. Therefore, I'm going to take it. Revenge. That is, uh, I feel that they have done something to me or a certain group of people have done something to me. Therefore, I am going to take something of value from them. It may simply be their name, their reputation, but I'm going to take that of value in order to get revenge. Addiction. There are those, you've, you've heard of kleptomania. There, there are people who have something going on in their wiring that leads them to take things. That, and, and again, it, then it becomes for them something that is almost amoral. They, they don't, when they're doing it in the process, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of trying to meet this need somehow that they have in themselves. Now, when they get done with it, they may see that it's wrong. But in the moment, it becomes almost an amoral behavior outside of, of moral boundaries. And then, of course, there's the desire to be accepted by the crowd. That's a lot of these people in flash mobs. You get the text message, you go. Some of it's just simple greed, but some of it is, hey, I want to be included in this, this particular group. Lots, again, we could, we could make a longer list. That, that gives us something generally that we can work with. But at the heart of most thievery is the concept that I have to take care of myself. And at the heart of Christianity... There is the belief that I have a God who's taking care of me. See the difference? When we steal, we're saying, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to do this on my own time, and I've got to do this on my own way. I can't count on anybody else. But for believers, we're dependent upon someone else. We're counting on someone else who's going to meet our needs. Now, you can argue, yes, there, there are certain circumstances where if, if, there, if my family was starving, if my children were starving, at that point you go, oh, well, then you'd steal something. Or you can get off the situations where you've you got to excuse the person who's got the, got the issue, the kleptomania, whatever it is going on in their lives. But when we talk about those, we're talking about a very small, we're talking about the corner of a room, okay? We're talking about a small percentage of people who, who struggle with those issues For most of the time, people steal simply because they're greedy. They want what they don't have. And they have no regard for the other person, and so they take it for themselves. And so we don't want to get caught up in in the the flytrap of exceptions. What we want to do is to look at the sin and the selfishness that's behind the heart that steals, that takes from another. As believers... 
We say we, we have a God who looks after us. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. I shall not be in want. I've got a shepherd who's looking after me. I'm, I'm one of his sheep. And he's going to give me what I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He provides that green grass for me. He leads me beside still waters so that I can be refreshed. He restores my soul. That's who we turn to. That's who we rely on. That's who we cling to when things aren't going right, when we feel like we've been cheated, when we feel like we're not getting what we deserve. We don't go and take it. We turn to God and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And we rely on him to give us what we need. The Apostle Paul, we admire him. We really do because of all that he did in starting churches and giving us this chunk of the New Testament in his letters. We admire him. We really, really do. And he had great successes. But Paul also had some terrible defeats. And he was abused. And there were times where he had no food to eat. There were times when he was locked up in the dungeon of a prison. But this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you've learned that yet or not. Most of us haven't. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. No matter where you are in your current circumstance, no matter what your situation is, the secret to being content is trusting the Lord in the middle of it. That's where contentment comes from. Contentment does not come from having enough money in the bank, enough food in the refrigerator. Contentment comes from having confidence that the Lord's got you. He's holding you. He's caring for you. Because Christ's love is in us, we can then love, we can love others. In Christ, then, we choose to act in ways that are consistent with that love. We choose to act in ways that enhance our relationship with God and enhance our relationship with others rather than tearing it apart. Because we are in Christ, we choose not to take someone else's property. We choose not to cheat people out of money. We choose not to manipulate circumstances for our good and someone else's harm. We choose not to, we choose not to refuse to pay our bills, the things that we owe. We choose not to smear someone's reputation and bring them down. It's not simply because God says, hey, you keep your hands off. It's because to do so would show a heart that lacks love. And how did Jesus say that we, they would know, the people out there would know that we are his disciples? Because they see how you love 
one another. They see your love. So if they don't see the love, what do they think of Jesus? What do they think of the church? What do they think of following him? Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The question I would then ask is this. Would he say the same thing today? Were he standing here? You're honoring me with your lips. You're singing the songs. But where's your heart? Where's the evidence? This commandment has to do with stealing. However, God also has encouragement for us. There's not just the don'ts. There's some do's for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, stealing is sin, but working is good. Now, you may not think that on Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off, nor might you think it on Friday when it's getting close to 5 o'clock and you aren't nearly done. But God made us to work. And Scripture calls us to work. If we are able-bodied, then the biblical example, the biblical expectation on us is that we will work. We will earn. We will pay our bills. We will support ourselves and not expect others to support us. Now, obviously, there are situations where a person's working as hard as they can and you know, stuff comes and undermines their life so that they need help. And that's when the church steps in and provides that kind of benevolence, that kind of support and encouragement that is needed in that time. But for the most part, the expectation biblically is that, listen, if you're able, you work. Don't rely on someone else to do for you what you can do for yourself. But even more than that, don't just work to put food on your table and a roof over your head clothes on your back work so that you can bless someone else so that you can step in and help someone else in the time of their need the bible goes further for even when we were with you paul wrote we gave you this rule the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat he didn't say those who aren't able to work he said those who are unwilling to work In other words, I guess hunger is a bit of a motivation. He goes on. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Don't grow weary in doing what is good. When we look only at the command not to steal, what we end up missing is the positive message of opportunity that lies on the other side of it. Galatians chapter 6, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of 
the household of faith. That word good means beneficial. In other words, when we steal, when we take something from someone in such a way that it it causes loss in their lives, when we do that, we're harming them. But what does the New Testament call us to do? Exactly the opposite. That what we do for others, we do to bless them, to benefit them. As Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. In other words, bless them. Live in such a way that it is a benefit to them. Because when we do, we show our faith by our actions. We show that we're different from the world. We show that we don't play by society's rules. But instead, we follow Jesus. We show that we genuinely love God. And that we genuinely love other people. And I promise you this. When we live like that, Jesus becomes irresistible. Everybody wants a place where they're loved. Everybody wants to know that they're loved. And every church should be known as a place of genuine, biblical, Christ-centered, God-honoring love. May God make of us that kind of people. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your message to us. We don't want to be thieves. We, we want to steal. We, we actually, Lord, we want to be the opposite of that. We want to go against our self-centered, sinful nature. And instead, Lord, we want to be focused on you, honoring you, um, bringing glory to you, our relationship, enhancing our relationship with you. But we also want to be focused outward on others, Lord, honoring them, blessing them, being a benefit to them, enhancing our relationship with others. God, we can't do that on our own. We are frail creatures of dust. We are people who too often look inward and look after our benefit. And so, Lord, we ask you to change us from the inside. To make us more like your son, Jesus. Who did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Emptied himself. And went so far as to even give himself up on a cross for us. Lord, we want to be that kind of people. And so, Lord, get self out of the center of our lives so that you become our center. The very middle, the very heart of who we are. And, Lord, then may we live out of that love, reflecting it back to you and showering on other people. Lord, if there are those today who need to come and become a part of a family of faith, who need to come and accept Christ, who need to come and be connected, to be a part. Lord, if you're calling them today, then let them come.
Lord, if there are those here today who recognize that their lives are way out of whack with what you're calling them to do and who you're calling them to be. And they just need a time of remorse and repentance, a time to, to forsake one lifestyle and embrace another. And, and they want to make that commitment to you or that recommitment to you, Lord. I pray this would be their moment and this would be their morning. But whatever it is that you're calling us to do, we want to follow. We want to do it. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.